This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids. I hope you walk away feeling supported and encouraged. You're definitely going to feel that from my guest today. A little disclaimer here. There's a little bit of language in this episode. I think it's maybe sprinkled in a variety of my episodes here and there, but maybe more than usual today. So just wanted to let you know if you listen on speakerphone and your kids are listening and that's something that bugs you. Uh, But today my guest is Carla Nomberg. She is a clinical social worker. She's the mother of two and she is the author of several books. Her most recent book that just came out is called You Are Not a Shitty Parent. How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. Something we all need, right? She's also the author of the best-selling book, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. Carla brings some hilarity to this issue. And she talks a lot about how if we practice mindfulness and take care of ourselves, that can actually help us stay calmer, or at least a little bit calmer, when things get crazy in our homes and inside our minds as well. This episode of the podcast, I'm really excited, is supported by Chadwick Home. You might remember the founder of Chadwick Home, Tori Summers. She was episode 59 on this podcast. Such a positive human being. Loved talking to her. But Chadwick Home supports families with creativity, passion, and care. And they do that with their signature elf box, taking the stress away from the elf on the shelf and putting the magic back into this wonderfully silly tradition. So if you are someone who loves that experience with your kids, your kids love the elf, that season is coming up. So what Tori has put together, she has something for every single day from December 1st to December 24th of elf shenanigans planned out for you with all the supplies, including everything except for the actual elf itself. So every day is simple to set up and simple to clean up for busy families on the go. And even included is the didn't move cards, just in case things felt a little bit crazy. The box comes set for four kids and one elf. If you have more kids or elves than that, let Chadwick Home know at the time of your ordering. They will make sure your box is customized for the number you have. Each box is $100 plus shipping. Boxes ship all over the country. Why is everyone yelling? Listeners can receive $10 off orders. When ordering, type in the comment box, Lindsay 10, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y 10 for $10 off. For ordering information, go to chadwickhome.blog backslash elf dash box backslash. We will also put the link to that in our show notes. So if you are signed up for a newsletter that'll get delivered directly to you, you can sign up when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Just go to that Why Is Everyone Yelling tab and you can click to sign up for our newsletter. All right, please enjoy my conversation with Carla Nomberg. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Carla Nomberg on the show. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Are you a yeller? Am I a yeller? Like deep in my soul? No. <laughs> 
Do I yell sometimes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do I love the title of your podcast? Yeah, because I kind of feel like if we're not all yelling, we probably should be because there feels like a lot to yell about these days. <laughs> well, um, I've never actually led the podcast with that question. But the other day, someone was like, I love the title of your podcast because I'm such a yeller. And I was like, me too. <laughs> no, I know. And the crazy thing was, I was never a yeller. Like, we know people who yell in their lives, right? As a child, as a teenager, as a professional. I was never one of those people. I'm more of a crier, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. I lose my shit, or at least it used to be. And then I had kids, and a lot of things changed. And suddenly, I became a yeller. But I don't think I am as much anymore. Still, sometimes. I yelled last night. I try I try to do it less. But my sister's in town, and we were just walking my kids to school earlier, and her son was walking too and she was yelling at him up ahead and I was like I think I'm just from a yelly family like I think that that's just who we are <laughs> oh I'm definitely from a yelly family but I don't think that counts yeah like the the fam like the yelly family stuff feels different to me than screaming at your kids yeah right yeah I'm definitely from a loud interrupty talk over each other yelly family and I'm I'm cool with that that's not a thing I need to change well, and the thing, yes, the talk over, I, I sometimes think, I remember growing up, I'd have friends come over and they'd be like, who's got the floor? Who's supposed to be talking right now? Everybody's going at once. And then you'd go to their house and everybody would be like, quiet and giving people turns and <laughs> it's just not That's an weird. environment I I don't was understand that. <laughs> also, I bet that friend and her family, they never ate off each other's plates. And in my family, we yeah. just eat off each other's. Not my like immediate family, my husband, my kids, because my husband didn't grow up in an eat off each other's plates kind of world. Uh-huh. But I definitely grew up on like the hand reaching over, yeah. getting into your plate. Uh-huh. That, that's We're all up in each other's everything. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, well, so our friend Yael introduced us, which I had a lovely conversation with her on this podcast about her book, Work, Parent, Thrive. She's and, awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. I think I'm going to have her back on the show. But you are an author as well, and you're a clinical social worker, and you're a mother of two. Indeed, all true. Can you tell us your history and when you started writing and getting into this line of work of trying to convince us parents that we are not, in fact, shitty parents? Yeah, yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so like I'm a clinical social worker by training and professional experience. And before I had kids, I was not in the parenting world at all. I worked with college students. I worked on an inpatient psych unit. And then I had uh, two girls in fairly rapid succession. They're 20 months apart and they're now 12 and 13, almost 14. My older daughter will be 14 in four days. Uh, And my world was turned upside down in both the best and some really tough ways, right? And so uh, I have always been a person who works through life's challenges through writing, through, you know, journaling, some pretty angsty poetry that never shall see the light of day when I was younger. (laughs) That was terrible. Um, And then I started writing parenting books. And I wrote a couple of parenting books, uh, Parenting in the Present Moment, and also Ready, Set, Breathe, which is about teaching mindfulness to kids. And then I started watching the New York Times bestseller list because that's every author's fantasy. And I realized that on the nonfiction list, there were a bunch of books with profanity in the title. And I was like, oh, we're allowed to swear in books because, you know, my previous writing had been in an academic setting where you actually can't use profanity. It's very unfortunate. And so (laughs) 
I was like, I am totally going to write a book about how to stop losing your shit with your kids, which was the title of my third book, my previous one, because that was something that I personally had been working on for years and also professionally very interested in emotion regulation, right, for parents. And so I wrote that book called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, and that came out just before the pandemic. And um, I was thinking about my next parenting book, and I really didn't want to give parents advice on what they should be doing differently because I'm tired. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm freaking exhausted. And I feel like we're all doing the best we can, right? And I just don't have the headspace for more parenting advice right now. But I know that self-compassion has been really a game changer for me in parenting and in life. And I felt like that's what I know I need right now as things feel really tough. And that's what I wanted to give to parents. So that's what my new book, You Are Not a Shitty Parent, is all about. I love it. Yeah, I love the profanity too. I mean, whenever you mentioned that, I was thinking of all of Jen Sincero's books. Like, you are a oh, badass. You're a badass at making money. Like, there's something about that attitude that just people love it. And, and a fun color on your book cover too. I think it's really catchy. Um, I agree. And, you know, I host a running podcast. Like, that's what I, that's my main thing. Like, I, a podcast for runners, but I have four little boys and I have constant questions and thoughts and I wanted a place to share stories of like, this is the shit I was dealing with today and it sucked, you know, or like, <laughs> or it. this is how we came to the other side of this experience and like, it's so much better now, you know? Um, but I didn't want to add to all that, just like people constantly saying do this not that and I think you know recently on this podcast I also talked to a woman who we we just talked a lot about how in this age of parenting like the rise of positive parenting experts and like all these things right like I have been helped by some of that but it's in your face so much that you're just like sometimes like I just have to trust my gut and do what feels right and not be Incoming, 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 you know? Absolutely. And I I am glad there are many, many different voices in the parenting world because I think there are many, many different types of parents and there are a gazillion ways to be a great parent. And I think one of the only downsides of parenting experts, which is a relatively new phenomenon, right? We didn't exist. Like when I was growing up in the 80s, there were no parenting experts. That wasn't a thing. Right. Um. And my dad is a realtor and he used to have, like leave me and my sister alone in his open houses to run the open house where let me remind you the whole goal is to get as many strangers coming into the house as possible, right? Can you imagine that happening today? But we're fine now. So anyways, parenting experts, blah, blah, blah. I, I am really glad there are many different voices because I want every parent to find the guidance that works for them, yeah. right? And the guidance that works for me is kind of snarky and funny and realistic. Like that's what I roll with because that's my style. And so I just wanted to offer another voice into the parenting world, right? Um, one that's kind of sweary and hilarious, but also hopefully full of really good evidence-based information, right? Um, tell me the process and the steps that you talk about in the book to help us come to that realization. Because we feel that a lot of times, I mean, just the other day, I was like, I went to a parent-teacher conference. My son said something at school that was like, just very inappropriate. And he- How old is this son? He's seven. Oh, yeah. That'll and he, happen. And, and if we're talking like 
birth order here. It's very classic. My oldest son, just the teachers love him. The coaches love him. And then he yep. kind of comes home and falls apart on us, right? Yep. Um, my, my second, I have four. My second is like, what you see is what you get no matter where he is. So he is going to be candid at home, candid at school. I'm not going to yep. do that because I don't feel like it to his teacher. And he says that to me. But like you, you hope that your kid doesn't say that to their teacher. Um, but I what, love that kid. <laughs> what he said, though, was highly inappropriate to say anywhere. Like oh, you don't say that anywhere. You don't say that at home. Um, and I won't repeat it. But um, I just came home from that feeling like, oh, my gosh, what have I done to have a kid that like says something like that? Like it's a really hurtful thing for somebody to say. Um, and I was just feeling really down on myself. And my husband is always the one that's a little more realistic about these things. And yeah. And I said, I just feel like a real, I feel like I've messed up. Like I didn't do something I should have done to intercept him if he thinks that or says that, even if he doesn't know what it means. And my husband was like, just go jump on the trampoline with them. Like, oh, I love your husband. Yeah. Like just, just go be around them. Like, Stop isolating yourself because you feel bad about what happened and just go be around them because then you'll see like he's seven, you know, he's seven and he shouldn't have said it, but we're going to teach him. And he's got a seven year old brain and seven year old brains don't really work that well. Yeah. But I mean, that moment right there, I was like, I feel like I've messed up. Right. So first of all, I just want to point out that feeling like you messed up is actually really different from believing you're a shitty parent. Mm. And my wish for every parent is that they could get to those differences, right? That they could, rather than coming out of a moment like that, which gosh, we can all really relate to, um, and thinking I am a terrible parent because my child said this inappropriate thing, I wish they could get to a place where they could think, well, I messed up. Now maybe, uh, Lindsay, I don't actually think you messed up, just to be clear. like. Kids say inappropriate things. It happens all the time. And it doesn't mean you failed your child as a parent. I mean, I guess if you were to say to me, actually, Carla, that inappropriate thing he said, I've been (laughs) saying to him every day for like, you know, the past five years, then I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you did mess it up. But otherwise, I don't think you did, Lindsay. I think it's just this is a thing that happens, right? Yeah, it's kind of those things where you're like, where did you even hear that? Whose house have you been at? But it's like, or a friend said it. Like, I don't. I don't have Who any knows? idea. Yeah. Who knows? And, and and remember that your kid goes to school with many other kids who may have older brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. So they might have heard it from an older brother and sister, but whatever. Who knows? But where, like, I just feel like parents right now are suffering from what I call shitty parent syndrome, which mm-hmm. is this thing I totally made up for the purposes of the book, because when you write a book, you're allowed to make stuff up. Um, and I define shitty parent syndrome as the thought, belief, or perception that you're a shitty parent when, in fact, you're not. And when I say that to parents, especially moms, I see the little doubtful glimmer in their eye where they're thinking, yeah, but I am the shitty parent, right? I'm the one. So I don't have shitty parent syndrome. I'm just a shitty parent. And then I come back at them with, but I actually don't believe there's such a thing as a terrible parent. And as a clinical social worker, as the child of multiple divorces who grew up with addiction and mental illness and all the things I have seen and lived a lot of parenting that many people might describe as shitty parenting. And I think what what's actually happening is that there are many parents out there who don't have the information, resources, and support they need to parent the way they want to. And calling someone a terrible parent 
is actually really different from saying you don't have the information, mm. support, and resources you need. Because to call someone a shitty parent, that's like, oh, well, you suck. That's it. And a conversation. Good luck with that. Sorry, you're terrible. Like, why don't you just go suffer? Right? There's no there's no possibilities for change or healing in that labeling. And so when we start to say to parents, I think the issue is that you don't have the information, support, and resources you need, then we can start to have a conversation about what do parents need and can we get it for them. And in the cases when we can't get it for them, for example, when you're stuck at home with four boys during a freaking pandemic, like we can't get you what you need, which is time away from those kids, like yeah. really significant time away. We can't get that. And so that's when you can have a whole lot of con self-compassion, right? All right, friends, I wanna take a quick break here and tell you about Prep Dish. Prep Dish is the easiest way to plan your meals for the week, have them prepped for the week, and not have to worry about what you're going to make for dinner every night. This is a really busy time of year with all the holidays coming up, and the last thing I want to do is think about what I'm going to make for dinner at 5 p.m. So what happens with Prep Dish is you subscribe to Prep Dish, and you receive an email every single week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping meals ahead of time. This means dinner time is super quick and easy every single day. Plus, the meal plans are always seasonal. This time of year includes plenty of hearty stews and crock pot meals. Super, super fast. Sometimes prepping feels stressful. In the past, I used to think I didn't have time to meal prep. But with Prep Dish, super fast meal plans, I can prep five healthy dinners in just one hour. And the meals are never boring. So many fun and delicious recipes waiting for you at Prep Dish. And if you want to check it out, Allison, the founder, is offering listeners a free two-week trial to check it out. And you can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com slash Lindsay, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, for this amazing deal. That's PrepDish.com slash Lindsay for two weeks free. This is a no-brainer. Go check it out. All right, friends, back to the show. And what does the self-compassion look like? Yeah, absolutely. So self-compassion is just this idea that we notice when we're suffering and we change how we are understanding the situation and change our behavior in response to that noticing and that acknowledging that we're suffering. And this is really different from what most parents do. First of all, we don't notice when we're having a really hard time or if we do notice, we kind of just brush past it, right? Like we feel like we're a mess, but we have to schedule the dentist appointment and we have to make sure we pay the bills and we got to get to work and we got to remember the kid to bring their tube to school and whatever it is. Like we kind of just brush past it and don't really take care of ourselves because it feels like there's not enough time or that feels self-indulgent or we don't even know where to start, right? So the first piece is just acknowledging that we're suffering. And I think parenting creates suffering yeah. on a regular basis, even when you're doing it well, whatever that means, um, in big and small ways, right? big and small ways that it creates suffering. And I think also in the past two and a half years have been uniquely challenging for every single one of us for a variety of reasons. Um, and so what do we do when we're suffering? Well, we treat ourselves the way our best friend might treat us or we would treat our best mm -hmm. friend, right? Mm -hmm. So Lindsay, if your best friend called you up or someone you really, really care about and love, anyone, pick a person, and said, oh, my God, I just had the shittiest day. I totally lost my temper with the kids. I screamed at them. I just exploded. They were crying. It was awful. I feel terrible. I'm such a shitty mom. What would you say to them? I would say, no, you're not. 
And I would say, I totally understand. I've been there before. Right. You would not say, yeah, you're right. You totally suck at parenting. Your kids are going to be so screwed up. Like, I hope you're putting a ton of money in that therapy jar for them because you are blowing this gig. Right? You would never say that. And yet, so many of us say that to ourselves on a regular basis, right? So I go into some pretty specific and concrete practices in the book, but the general idea is that we notice when we are treating our, when we're having a horrible moment and when we're treating ourselves like crap in response to that moment. And instead we choose to shift and treat ourselves the way someone we really love would treat us or the way we would treat someone we really love. Totally. Um, so it's different than self-care. Oh yeah. I mean, self-care can be an important part of self-compassion, right? Because sometimes Maybe the friend comes over and is like, I am going to make you dinner for your whole family because you're having a horrible time. I'm going to make you dinner for your whole family and I'm going to put your kids to bed so you can go to sleep because what you need is some sleep. So that's that's caring for someone, right? And so maybe the self-care version of that is I'm going to order pizza for dinner and let the kids watch it in front of the TV because I need to care mm -hmm. for myself. And caring for myself in this moment means not cooking dinner. And not having to parent, to add, not having to actively parent when I'm in this really difficult moment. But um, self-compassion, so self-care can be a part of self-compassion. There are other parts too, but I think self-care often gets confused with self-improvement, mm. which is also not what self-compassion is. Like you wouldn't, I mean, I know you're a runner, Lindsay, so I think you hang out with a lot of runners. So I don't think you'd call up a friend who was really suffering and being like, you know what, you're really struggling with parenting and you're not a runner, but I think what you absolutely need to do is train for a marathon right now. <laughs> like, you wouldn't say that. If it was one of your runner buddies, you might say, you know what? what like, it's beautiful fall weather outside. Let's go for a run. Would you like to go for a jog and talk about it? Like, you might say that because you know that's a thing that brings them joy and helps them feel better in hard moments. But that's really different from saying to someone, you need to train for a marathon or you're just going to be a waste of a human for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. And I think that's what some of us say to ourselves. And then we're like, I have some self-care time, so I'm going to go put in a quick 10-miler even though I really don't want to. And that's not self-care. Unless it is, right? For you, it might be. For me, it's not. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm, I feel guilty about this, but I feel like I've never done a bad job of making sure I'm getting my time away and like I'm going to go get a pedicure and things like that. But I do sometimes feel like the privilege of that and like a little bit of guilt in that and it feels kind of icky. So when people talk about self-care, I'm like, what? You don't go like take care of yourself and get away from your kids a little bit? Why not? Yeah, look, I get that. I feel the same way too, you know, and I do have a serious self-care practice that usually involves time on my couch with my cats crocheting. So good. Um, I'm crocheting, not the cats. They're terrible at it actually. <laughs> um, I, it involves a lot of walks outside with friends, yeah. right? So, but this wasn't the way it always was. And it took me a while to realize that the care and keeping of Carla, like the manual of the care and keeping of Carla has gotten a lot thicker since I became a parent. <laughs> and the older and, I get too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the, there's more and more writing and more and more bullet points. Um, and so, but I, I realized um, when I was really doing my work around not losing my shit with my kids, like my own personal work, that for me, for example, exercise every day is not optional mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm so cranky with them, right? Um, and so making sure I get to bed on time is a self-care piece for me. 
Um, and again, not self-improvement. That's just like basic functioning. Just like for I me. need to sleep seven hours or whatever it is. Right. I have to sleep. I have to move my body. Um, I need down quiet time. Right. I, I'm not. I'm not a person who does well with a lot of sensory input coming at me all day and, and kids are all about sensory input. And so I learned that I have to find ways to make quiet time. And so, yeah, self-care is about me recognizing my own struggles, right? And adjusting how I behave in response. That's one piece of self-compassion for sure. So I think I didn't explain it super well. And as I, as you were talking, it, it like opened the door a little bit more in my brain. Um I think with that piece, what I struggle with, and maybe your life is similar, maybe it's not, is that my husband, he does not take that time. He says he doesn't need to get that time with his friends or go get, you know, whatever his equivalent to a pedicure is or, you know, all those things. And so I feel like my things pile up because I know I need to like recharge myself. And then when I see that he's not doing it, I feel a little bit like, why aren't you doing all these things too? You know, maybe he should, but he acts like he doesn't need to. So if he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to. Listen, people are wired so differently. And I have had people, for example, reach out to me about my books and be like, these are a lifesaver. And then I've had friends who are like, what? Why is this a problem? Hmm. Like, and they're not being jerks. They just, yeah. it's not their world. And so assuming that your husband is not, and obviously I don't know your husband at all, but assuming he's not like, super depressed or anxious or falling apart or losing his shit all the time he probably doesn't need it like my husband is thank god a much more sort of emotionally stable person than i am and what's up just, with that oh my god thank god because between me and my daughters and our two female cats he's like a lone man uh -huh. living in this house full of female creatures and hormones um, <laughs> If he had the emotional volatility that my daughters and I do, our house would be like on fire every day. Yeah. And so he really is a steady rock for us, which I'm so grateful for. And he doesn't need it the same way. Like for sure, if he, if his sleep is interrupted too many nights in a row or if he goes too long without exercise, yeah, he'll start to get a little snippy. And then it's like, it feels like the whole world is falling apart because why is he getting snippy? Yeah. That's my job. Um, but in general, he just doesn't need as much. And that's and I'm just grateful for it. Right. We're different people. We need different things. Totally. Um, one of the things that, you know, you had mentioned part of parenting is suffering. And it's such an interesting concept because babies and kids are these like beautiful gifts that we've been given. And some people work really hard to make that happen. And some people aren't able to have kids. And so you, you walk around thinking, I have to be grateful all the time because I got the, this gift, you know, but then at the same time, I don't know, it's just a hard to have. It's like an and thing, right? It's like you can have gratitude and feel suffering. Oh yeah. It, look, it's both. And it's one of the, look, parenthood is just a bunch of paradoxes. And I don't like paradoxes. I like it when things are straightforward and simple and easy. And I don't like having to hold two like opposite realities at the same time, but that's life, yeah. right? And so I, I am a deeply grateful person and I walk around all the time just feeling really grateful about my life and my partner and our kids and the house we're so lucky to live in and all the things. And now that my daughters are teens slash tweens they find I think it fairly revolting the way I'm like aren't we so lucky to live in this house <laughs> I just think about that a lot and they're like oh my god mom stop it and then I'm like great I'm raising raising two like self-entitled little turkeys who don't appreciate the 
the like true gifts of our life, but whatever, we'll, we'll get past that. So yeah, I think many of us have much to be grateful for. And as the Buddha said, and I'm not making fun, I really mean this with great uh, reverence for his wisdom. I'm not Buddhist, but I really appreciate his teachings. Life is suffering. Mm. That's the deal, right? And parenting is a part of life and parenting is suffering. And sometimes there's suffering because horrible things happen. And sometimes there's suffering because we're terrified that horrible things might happen because we're so grateful for what we have, right? And um, I think holding on to that is really important, not because I want to depress all your listeners, but because I think there is this sort of pervasive message in Western culture that we should all be happy all the time. And that if we're not happy, and if our children aren't happy, it's because we've done something wrong in parenting, and we better find the right expert or read the right parenting book or listen to the right podcast or do all the work to make sure that we and our children are happy. And this is, Lindsay, a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, it's bullshit partially because happiness is a feeling, and we can't control our feelings. We can't force ourselves to be happy. Right. We can do things that may make it more likely that we are happy, like get enough sleep at night. But ultimately, we can't force ourselves to be happy. And also, as I don't need to explain to you or any of your listeners, um, a whole lot of stuff happens all the time that aren't happy things like I'm supposed to feel happy during a pandemic. I mean, I think actually the happiness talk has chilled out a little bit in the past two years because people realize it's like not that awesome to tell folks who are terrified of a virus that they should be happy. But um it's a problem. But yeah, parenting is suffering and we can be really grateful for it. That's that's so interesting that you brought that up. I was just thinking about that because it's like, you know, anytime you go on like a trip or like you're, you know, it's Christmas or a birthday and there's all these like super high expectations of how fun it's going to be and all the great things. Like uh, here's an example. Uh, we were going to pick my mom up from the airport the other day and my uh, she was surprising my kids with my nephew coming with her I love that and my oldest decides to have this like massive meltdown about I don't even remember what probably like where people were sitting in the car sounds about right yeah <laughs> and then I like wanted him to stay home because I was like you're ruining the moment but like I didn't want him to miss the surprise and it was like I just feel like we we set ourselves up for this like it's all supposed to be happy because we're on our trip or this surprise is gonna happen and then we, you know kids don't know they don't know what's actually going on. Like my kid, my kid didn't know that we were going to have a surprise there. But in my head, I was just freaking out. Like the moment is ruined, you know? Oh, yeah. Look, and I think that's such a normal experience. We've all had it, right? And I think we shouldn't blame ourselves for that because we live in this capitalistic culture that is pushing stuff down our throats all the time about how especially Christmas is supposed to be the special magical time. Like already my daughter, my Jewish daughter being raised by Jewish parents in a Jewish home is like, I love Christmas romances. They're all I want to read. And I'm like, I don't blame you, kid. Christmas romances are good stuff. They're so cozy and everything works out so perfectly. Uh -huh. But the point is, like, um, we're being raised in a culture that is constantly drilling into us. And you and I are recording this on October 19th. And already the Christmas stuff is coming out, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, in those moments, it comes back to mindfulness, which is a practice that is at the core of all my parenting work, even my snarky parenting books, and it's fundamental to self-compassion. And what I try to do is just notice when my thoughts spiral so far into the past or so far into the future that I've totally lost sight of the present. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in that moment, I mean, 
my kids absolutely will have a massive meltdown about who gets to sit where, whatever. And I, the more that I am stuck in the future thinking, oh no, I really want this to go well. This is so important. Yes. I, I, I need this moment to go well. The more I'm stuck in that future thinking or past thinking, oh, they're being jerks again. Remember all the times in the past when they were total like poorly behaved little brats and blah, blah, blah. The more my thinking is in the past or the future, the more stressed and tense I am. And the more stressed and tense I am, the less likely we are that anything's going to work out the way I want it to. So that's when my goal, and I don't always achieve it, but I try, is to notice that forward or past thinking and bring my feelings and thoughts back into the present moment as much as I can. And um, look, it's not easy to do because the human no, brain not. was literally designed to live in the past and the future. That's a survival mechanism, right? Yeah. Because our our human ancestors who were living, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, how long? I have no sense of time anymore. But the ones who lived a really long time ago and could remember past thinking that when they went into that cave, you know, they got eaten by a saber-toothed tiger and then could plan ahead and mm -hmm. not go back into that cave. Those were the ones who survived and passed down their brain functioning and wiring to the next generation. Whereas, you know, our primitive ancestors who just sort of stood there staring at the wall, not thinking about the past and not planning it for the future, probably ended up in the cave and got eaten and their present moment focused brains weren't passed along. And so to folks who feel like they are very much not mindful, first of all, join the club. I'm the president. Like, we're all there together. Yeah. And secondly, remember that this is not what your brain was wired for. And so it doesn't make you a mindless person. It just makes you a member of the human race. So good. That's so true. Hey, friends, if you're looking for some amazing sunglasses, go to gooder.com and use the code LINDSAY15. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 the most affordable, functional, and fashionable sunglasses out there. They don't slip around when you're on the go and they do not break easily at all, which is highly important when you have small children. I have several pair. I always leave one in my car. I always have one in my purse. I always have one in the house because I can't be found anywhere without sunglasses. Again, go to gooder.com. Use the code Lindsay15, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 for 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, and one of the other things I was going to bring up is just those, you know, we how we were talking about the all the parenting experts, the positive parenting, like that shift. Yeah. And when you're at the park and you see you see the new mom kneeling down and talking to her two year old that's melting down and doing all the positive parenting things. And you're like throwing kids over your shoulder, just like getting the hell out of there, <laughs> you know? Oh, 100%, I know. And I think in those moments, like everybody's judging me. I'm always the scene. I'm always the loud one. We're always a hot mess. Um, and I think even as I've, I'm a little bit more experienced as a, a parent now, I've been doing it for 10 years. I still, I think that is my number one struggle is caring about what other people think about how I handle the business. <laughs> so you look, know? if you're a hot mess, uh, Lindsay, I'll send you my address. Come hang out with me. Bring your crew. We'll <laughs> roll. We roll with hot mess. Look, I, of course you worry about what other people think of you. And I could, again, go back to the way our brains were wired, which is that our brains are wired for comparison. Yeah. Right? Because back, way back when, when we were like roaming the savannah, we required our tribe for survival. 
Mm-hmm. And people who ended up all alone were going to be trampled or eaten or died of starvation or died of exposure, whatever. And so we needed to stay within our tribe. And one of the best ways to stay in the tribe is to look around and see what everybody else is doing and make sure you're not being the weirdo who's going to get kicked out, right? Mm-hmm. So you are doing what your brain is wired to do. And I will say, obviously, there is a range of difference in this. Like, we all know people who just don't give a crap what other folks are doing, yeah. right? I'm not one of them. Yeah. You're not one of them. That's okay. So then the trick is to find our people, right? Yeah. And so that sweet mom kneeling down and whispering to her two-year-old sweet nothings when the two-year-old is, like, exploding all over the place <laughs> is not a bad person and she's not a bad parent. Right. She's not my kind of people. Yeah. And that's okay because I'm probably not hers. Like I'm thinking about <laughs> when my daughter who was maybe in second or third grade came up to me in school in the hallway and showed me something she'd drawn in class. And I looked at it and I was like, this is fine, but you didn't work very hard on it. It's not your best. Because <laughs> it wasn't. My kid. You knew what my, she was capable of. Like my kid can draw like nobody's business. This is one of the things she's amazing at. Right. Yeah. And this little piece of artwork that she did for our class, she totally phoned it in. Yeah. You know, and. There was some mom in the hallway who was like, holy crap, like she could not (laughs) handle what I just said to my daughter. And I think reasonable people can disagree on what I should have said in that moment. But, you know, I used to really care a lot more Mm -hmm. about what other parents thought. And then I realized I just need to hang out with the parents who are on my wavelength, Mm. you know, who are going to laugh at my jokes and not think I'm a horrible person because I say, you know, snarky things and in front of your kids (laughs) I do I didn't used to I didn't used to it just started because my daughters you know they went off to sleepaway camp this summer for not the first time and my older one came home swearing like a sailor and I think she dropped the f-bomb like four times in the car on the way home and I was like (laughs) okay let me be clear when we put in a request of you like I can't tell these kids not to swear because I literally swear professionally like look at my book titles so that would be super (laughs) hypocritical of me so what I said to my daughter was if dad and I ask you to do something, you cannot say what the fuck to us. Yeah. That is not an acceptable response, but you can say, fuck yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And she, of course, like rolled her eyes so hard they almost fell out of her head. But the point is, Lindsay, like if that's the park where the moms are staring at you, dude, maybe you need a different park. Yeah. Maybe you need the hot mess park. I'll go find you there. I, um, what did I say the other day at my son's soccer game? I said, I think I said like, oh shit or something. And this little boy in front of me who's, uh, was just hanging out in our area. He looked at me and goes, you said a cuss word. And I was like, oh, I did. I'm sorry. I was like, that kind of happens at our house sometimes. I always wonder like, why are words like, why does it matter if people say that? But it, it does feel inappropriate to hear like a 10 year old say it. So it's like, I don't know. Cuss words are uh, such a strange thing to me. So I, I think by virtue of publishing parenting books full of profanity, I've had like a few people reach out to me, journalists reach out mm. to me lately for my professional opinion about using profanity in front of children and mm. letting kids swear. And look, again, I think reasonable people can disagree about this. And if, yeah. if swearing doesn't work for your family, then it doesn't work for your family. And that's cool. And if it does, that's cool, too. But I will tell you that when my daughters started sort of exploring spicy language in the past year or so, we've had a lot of conversations about when and where it's appropriate yes. and when it's not. And if they go off and use the S word at school, they're going to get sent to the principal's office. Yeah. And I will tell them that they deserve to get they sent knew. to the principal's office. They knew and the they're deal. like, but mommy, you swear on your books. And I'm like, 
yeah, but I wouldn't swear at your school. Right. I would never swear at your school. And they know they can't swear in front of their grandparents. Yeah. And um, it's this learning process. And like, for example, Lindsay, you and I had a conversation before we started this podcast. And I ask everyone who interviews me, are you comfortable mm-hmm. per- with profanity mm-hmm. or not? And if you're not, then we're going to record a totally clean podcast. And I think teaching our children to like how to gauge a situation and figure out which behavior and which language is appropriate where is is part of them growing up and part of our setting boundaries and if you want to run your household uh with totally clean language that is a hundred percent your choice and a very good option and if you don't mind some salty language that's cool too totally i think it's uh, a big way to teach kids independence too right like say I don't care if my kid says this at home but like he needs to know like when he's off on his own at school or practice or whatever it is that he can't say that like that that's like his own self-awareness that he has to know and he has to know not to do that and we kind of have to send them off on their own to figure that out so yeah I totally agree with that yeah I feel like we could have a whole nother conversation on independent kids and um you kind of remind me do you know Julie Lithcott Hames work She's amazing. I love her work. Yeah. Your your like personality kind of reminds me of her. Well, that's a huge compliment. I'll take it. I yeah. think she's fantastic. Yeah. I had her on when she, her um How to Raise an Adult came out and Yep. Um I'm a pretty like free-rangey mom in that sense and so I was really excited to talk to her about that. But yeah, your your the way you talk about parenting and your kids and the topics that we haven't even gotten into, I feel like they seem similar to Julie. Well, I appreciate that. I will take that and roll with it. <laughs> um, all right. We're wrapping up with Into Podcast, but um, what's your takeaway from the book? Like, what do you want people to really know from not just, not just how, you're not a shitty parent, but also like how to stop losing your shit with your kids? Like, what's your parenting message? I think the realization that helped me in every part of parenting that I still remind myself on a regular basis is that parenting is hard. And just because it's hard, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Mm, That's really good. Yeah. I like that. Um, All right, Carla, wrapping up here, what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I would like to write and publish a children's book. That's the thing I haven't done yet. Ooh, fun. Love it. Well, you're in with some publishers, so you might be able to make that happen. (laughs) Um, What is the best, most recent book you've read? Uh, so I'm I'm on the big romance kick, and recently I really loved The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. I thought it was just Ooh. a really fun, juicy read. I love that. Do you have any good romance, like, terrible shows you've watched lately? No, because for shows I like to watch um, hour-long, like, police procedurals or hospital shows. Mm. I watch them while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm going back and watching all of The Resident, okay. which is one of those hospital shows. But I, I like some pretty intense stuff while I'm writing. Don't ask me to explain that to you. I can't. You just want that in your, as the background? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. I've I written every single book while watching TV. I can't write any other way. Okay. I mean, it's the same, It's similar to some... It's like the kind of music you want. It's like... Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. Um. Did you watch The Good Doctor? No, I haven't watched it yet. Should I watch it? I think you should if you like hospital shows. It's good. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. I'm going to check it out. I don't know how intense it is, but um, if you like hospital shows. Okay. Do you have a kid's book you recommend? My all-time favorite kid's book is Wish Tree by Catherine Applegate. It's a middle grade book. I think the first time I read it to myself, because I read middle grade books on my own, I like closed the book, went back to the first page and read it all over again. And then like picked up my girls from school and brought it home. Was like, I'm reading you a book. Sit down. We're going to read it. And it's you just... read it to them? Oh, yeah. 
it's 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 stunningly beautiful. It's so funny, and it touches on really important issues. So, Wish Tree by Catherine Applegate. Oh, okay. And this is Love like it. middle middle school. It's age. middle grade, so it's middle like grade. you oh, know eight to eight to ten or eleven year olds, and it is told from the perspective of a tree. And when I first heard that, I was like, I am out because mm-hmm. I don't read books told by trees. Mm-hmm. That's weird. It is so beautiful. Like, go get it for your kids, Lindsay. They'd love it too. And it's so funny. It's just, it's amazing. Okay. Um, Do you have a place, a trip, or something you've done with your family that you recommend? I wish every family could have like three tantrum-free hours at Disney World. Like, we took our girls down there and uh, I was not expecting to enjoy it. I'm not really a Disney fan. And... There was, we had like one day where the girls were not, they were in a great headspace. They were in a great mood. We went on amazing rides. We ate really fun meals and they were super into it, even though they don't watch Disney movies and they never have, but they were super into it. And it just felt, it was just really fun. Like a really, really fun thing I wasn't expecting. So I wish every family could do that. What ages were they? I want to say like six and eight. Okay. Cause that's an important piece. Yeah, oh yeah, I would not, if I went down now, if somebody made me go to Disney World now, I would make each of my girls bring a friend. Yeah. And then I would hand them their cell phones and be like, bye, I'll be <laughs> sitting here on this bench reading my book, call me later. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't want to walk around Disney World with teenagers. Or or babies, I don't want to deal with, No. like, don't take your babies or toddlers no. who need naps and Why are you doing that it. to yourself? Don't do that. Why are don't you do that. that? But. But this was an age when they were still sort of young and yeah. earnest enough that, like, my daughter met Stitch, the alien, and she loves Stitch. She's, like, mm-hmm. obsessed with Stitch even now. And the look of, like, she knows Stitch isn't real. But in that moment, the look of pure joy on her face, I will literally never forget that. Mm. It was amazing. That's so, so good. Um, Disney, if, if you're listening, you can absolutely reimburse me for this little plug. Yeah. But they're not paying me. Where's, sadly- where's your affiliate link? I have no affiliate link and I'm not on Disney's payroll. I should say that. Um, One of the reasons we have avoided Disney, well, A, like we don't want to go, but B, um, self-care, right? I don't want to go. We're not going. You don't Um, have to go. But it's that entitlement piece. Like I just know there's sensory overload. My kids are going to want everything. And I'm just going to be like, you're so entitled. I already spent so much money to even be here. You know? Yeah, look, um, I hear that. And if it doesn't work for you, then you shouldn't go. And I really thought it wasn't going to work for us. But I, you know what I did, Lindsay? I, I set it as a challenge for my daughters. Uh, they they were serious stroller lovers. And they only wanted to ride in the stroller, even when they were far too old to ride yeah. the stroller. We had like the giant double bob. And they were like weighing this thing down. <laughs> and I said to them, because they were begging to go to Disney. I said, I'm not going to take you until you prove to me that you can walk a really long day and not fall apart. Yeah. And Lindsay, I milked that for like a year. Yes. That was how we broke them of the stroller thing. And then um, my cousin had a bar mitzvah in Washington, D.C. And we went and we walked a huge tour through the White House. And we walked up and down those insanely long staircases um, up and down into the metro stations. And we walked all over D.C. And I think the girls, I got my step tracker said something like 15,000 steps that day. And the girls did it and they didn't complain. And I was like, all right, you worked for it. Now we're going to Disney. That's and awesome. It was like a year process mm-hmm. of like me being like, you need to prove to me that you can handle this because I'm not going to take you to Disney if you're going to lose your mind every five minutes and have like meltdowns on the ground because you're too tired. I can't do that. Totally. I so, love that. I love that process. Yeah. Make them work for it. Make them prove make them they can do it. it. 
Yeah. Um, last question, which we kind of already asked, but I'll just ask it again more generally. What's your last message to leave with our audience today? You're not a shitty parent. If you're having a hard day, uh, we all have hard days. It's just part of parenting and tomorrow is a new possibility. Love that. I say that before bedtime to my kids all the time. I'm like, when, you know, shit hits the fan, I'm like, tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's a new yeah, day. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fun. Thanks, Lindsay. And I appreciate the awesome content and perspective you're putting out there for parents. We need more of you in the world. Oh, same. Right back at you. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Chadwick Home and the Elf Box for supporting this podcast. Again, go to Chadwick Home blog and use the code Lindsay10, L-A-N-D-S-E-Y-1-0. Put that in the comment box and that'll get you $10 off your order. And thank you, Preptish, preptish.com slash Lindsay to get a free two-week trial. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here. You can learn more about Carla and her books when you go to carlanomberg.com. You can learn more about this podcast and all the podcasts in the Sandy Boy Network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. You can find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. This podcast is why is everyone yelling on Instagram? You can also find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine. I would love to connect with you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day and we will see you next week on why is everyone yelling?